Hello and welcome. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and this is a new spin on autism, Answers. Today's a really excellent uh, show. I'm very, very excited to have today's guest. His name is Mark Steinberg. He's a Ph.D. licensed psychologist, TV medical consultant, and author of two books. He's the author of ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, and his new book is called Living Intact, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times, which I think is a wonderful title. Um, I'm very familiar with this first one and excited to read the second one. It's the perfect guest because our theme of the day is the fallacy of feedback. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to think that feedback, um, I'm old, by the way, for anybody who's wondering, I have 10 grandchildren, so I'm really old. And <laughs> way back, way back then, uh, feedback was simply being told no. When your teacher said, no, you're doing it wrong, when your piano teacher wrapped your knuckles, when the, believe it or not, the principal came and measured the length of your skirt, if it was over an inch and a half from the knee you were sent home, that was another no. Feedback was simply what you're doing wrong. This is a really challenging thing for a lot of people, myself included. And so I learned to really, really get nervous and shy away from anything with the word feedback attached to it. Um, cut to much later when I'm an adult and I'm, I'm doing shows and performing and speaking. And if anybody said, I want to give you some feedback, my back, feedback, my back, would just tingle with fear. And I'd be like, no, please, just not feedback. Tell me what I did right. So I don't think I'm 100% unique in this respect. I'm unique in many respects, but probably not in this one. I think there are many, many people who see feedback as simply the, the art of being told what you're doing wrong. And I want to spend a little time today correcting that impression. I remember I had all my children at one point. Um, I had all eight of them in a, in a, nine-seater station wagon. We all just barely fit. And, you know, they're, most of them are adopted and, and many of them are autistic and it's all just a crazy ride inside this car. And we're sitting in the parking lot and all I can think of is few. I know where everybody is. I need a few minutes. And along comes this lady and she bangs on my window and I roll it down and because the old days we rolled down our windows. And, uh, and she starts yelling at me because my children had thrown something out. And she's talking about litter and how it's so terrible for the environment. And I'm thinking, she's giving me feedback. And the fact is, it was good feedback. She wasn't delivering it in a nice way. But it did draw my attention to the fact that I was allowing my children to be a bit wild and not caring for what was happening beyond us. And I started to change. And after that, I realized that feedback could have a positive spin, even if it was de delivered in a negative way. And I opened up to the concept of feedback just a little bit, which turns out to be a beautiful thing. Because now I do neurofeedback, which is feedback to the brain. And we're going to get into that. We're going to talk with our guest about it. 
Um, and I do it internationally. It makes a huge difference for all the people I work with. It makes a huge difference in my home. It made a huge difference for my children. It's exciting. I'm on a soapbox about it. I want to share it with the world. And here it is, feedback. <laughs> my arch nemesis, feedback. So I think it's um, really exciting to have a super professional come on the show today to talk to us about what feedback is. And remember, don't go away when he's done and I say goodbye to him because we're going to have stories from the road. And if you're lucky, maybe I can get him to offer to give away a copy of his new book. <laughs> okay, so this is Mark Steinberg, PhD, licensed psychologist, TV medical consultant, author of ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, and his new book is called Living Intact, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Lynette. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for sitting through that humongous long Well, <laughs> you, you're, you're a great storyteller, and you inspire me to tell something quickly. First of all, you and I have something in common. If you do neurofeedback internationally, and I do it right here in California. We're both involved in connecting the hemispheres, aren't we? Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story, and then we Please. can respond to what you want to know. Uh, your your tales of long ago remind me of why one of many reasons why I'm a psychologist, because I wanted to be a musician, but that was uh, after my childhood of being forced to take violin lessons when I was about nine or ten years old. My my mom, who broke her wrist in the Depression and couldn't you know, afford lessons afterward, decided to pass it on to her untalented progeny. So I took violin lessons with uh, a man who was about as tall as I was at uh, ten years old. And uh, picture me standing there holding this violin rigidly, and every time I made a mistake, which was about every time I moved the bow, he would jam the edge of the violin, um, you know, from the front into my neck and say, Dumkoff. And I can still feel it in my neck. So that's really, you know, that fallacy of feedback. But what we do with the brain is very similar to what the brain does in riding a bicycle. When you lean a little bit over one way, your vestibular system automatically corrects so you don't fall over. And with neurofeedback, we're doing this uh, not in a, a physical way, but in a neurological way about every second. So it's very powerful. Oh, it's hugely powerful. And I'm always challenged when I'm being the guest on a show. So I'm going to pass this challenge to you. Can you please try and describe what neurofeedback is in the in that like how it connects and what the you know what the client sees and, and how that effect happens? The experience of neurofeedback for the the person um, experiencing it, the, the patient or client, and this can be a three-year-old child, which is the lower limit of ages I work with, or a person in the middle ranges or a senior citizen. The experience is that you sit in a chair and you have these electrodes attached to your head with some conductive paste, and, and you watch something, either a movie or a video game, and you notice that, that the game goes better or doesn't go better. It seems to stop and start, as it were, on its own. But then you get the sense that somehow you're really involved in controlling it, um, as indeed you are, because what the equipment is doing is monitoring the electrical signal that comes out of your scalp. Well, we all have this uh, electrical signal biologically, and it's digitally transforming it and turning it into feedback in the form of a video game. 
So I like to tell my patients that um, their brain is like the transmitting station of their favorite um, TV station. And our equipment is like the remote control in which they can change channels, adjust volume, all that stuff. And, and the brain wants to do that to get a clear, crystal, nice volume picture. And, and one so of the things... What, go Sorry, go on. No, that, that's, that's what the person experiences. And um, with, with many people who can sense and report, uh, we ask them you know, whether they're feeling more relaxed, less relaxed, um, every few minutes with uh, someone who may not be a good reporter for a variety of reasons, like an autistic person. We just let them experience it and uh, you know, we let their family report the changes and we observe the changes. Okay, and so one of the things I want to point out here, because we're talking about the fallacy of feedback, whether it's negative or positive, really it's the whole information coming back to you about how you operate. When we do not feedback, we get more yeses than we do noes, correct? Uh, that's that's correct, and um, I, I think that yes should be interpreted in terms of the behavior paradigm of reinforcement, which simply means encouragement of a response so it's likely that it'll reoccur. And when you ignore or don't reinforce a response, which is what happens when a person is putting out brainwaves outside the parameters that the practitioner sets, then those type of responses are less probable and they become, in the language of um, therapy extinguished. Okay. So in the language of moms and moms, <laughs> what the way that I would say that is something like, you know what, when you say yes a lot to people, then they embrace and move towards something. And that way when you say no, it's, it doesn't challenge them as much. Um, and they're able to hear it. And I think that when we do it with neurofeedback, since we don't have that whole behavioral paradigm of resistance because it's not all psychological, just, you know, the computer responding. Um, it's easier to give more no's, but it's really nice if we can be really positive in our approach to the kids. At least that's the way I work. Thoughts? Well, again, I, I don't really see it as, as positive or negative uh, because I look at, at reinforcement um, as a circuit, uh, it's like I don't, I don't see the terminals on your car battery as being favorites, you know, the you know, the positive terminal is better than the negative terminal. I, I understand what you're saying. And, no, but and I love that. Do, I love what you said. I people do get resistant and, and turned off uh, when they feel shut down. And, and so I, I think the, uh, the, the proper way to look at it is that we simply ignore ir irrelevant responses. We, we simply ignore uh, departures. Uh, one of our colleagues, I think, said it very well when he, he compared it to... Um, learning to drive. Pe people do not learn well through traumatic incidents. You don't learn to drive by smashing your car into a concrete pole. You, you learn to drive by thousands upon thousands of, of tiny, subtle corrections called staying in the lane. And if you happen to drift across lanes without intentionally doing it, you'll notice a little vibration and a little sound from those little bots in the road to remind you to stay within the contours of the lane. And that's really a good parallel for what neurofeedback is for the brain. Oh, I love that parallel. That's awesome. It's, and it's very visual. It's easy to um, sort of comprehend it. So in your book, by the way, I loved, 
loved ADD, the 20-hour solution, and I'm really glad that I didn't read it before writing mine because you said things in such a concise way that I took paragraphs and paragraphs to say. I might have felt like I shouldn't write mine. Um, I remember when I was reading it thinking, gosh, they said that so perfectly. Yeah, I, um, I felt that way too, which is why it took me you know, about 50 years to write a book. So. Oh, but you did. You were very concise. You were very clear. It's an easy uh, It's an easy read while at the same time having tons and tons of information. I want to read a little piece here because one of the things that parents often say to me is, well, my child's autistic. He's not going to let you put stuff on his head. He's not going to care. He doesn't. Some autistic kids love videos, but many don't care at all about a monitor. And so I often hear from parents, you know, that their child is never going to be interested or do that. And I'm constantly assuring them that, yes, in fact, every time I manage to get the children to do it. And so it's nice when I can read somebody else's words um, so that it's not always me saying it. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a piece of your book. The remarkable quality of self-regulated healing becomes evident when very impaired and observably chaotic individuals attempt EEG training, which is another word for neurofeedback. It's a compelling moment when an acting out autistic person watches the feedback monitor with a regard that clearly signifies his communion with the process. This phenomenon occurs with such striking contrast to the beliefs and experiences of many who think they know autistic behavior. And then you go on, of course, to get uh, more involved in it. It was really nice for me to be able to read that so that I can say from somebody else's words that, yes, in fact, it's quite phenomenal to watch these kids. Um, I'm going to reintroduce you at this point. When I come back, I'd love to ask you for a moment or a story with a, maybe an autistic child where you saw them do just that, if you can recall one. Um, okay, so I am talking today with Mark Steinberg, Ph.D. licensed psychologist, TV medical consultant, author of ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, and also has a new book, Living in Tech, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times. Stay with me after the um, interview with Dr. Steinberg. We're also going to have stories from the road. And um, this is Lynette Louise, your story teacher, and you're listening to A New Spin on Autism. Answers. The mouthful, huh? So, um, Mark, can you tell me any stories that you recall when you were working with an autistic child and they managed to do the neurofeedback? Well, I, I've worked with many autistic children over the years, and I just want to comment uh, uh, first about your comment, which I've run into also, and, and most practitioners have, that, that parents are incredulous uh, at the beginning. That, that their child would become absorbed in the process. Well, he's not going to pay attention, and he's you know, wandering around and, and so forth. And when, when you think about it, at least from my perspective, if, if there's any legitimate criticism that can be addressed to um, you know, autism as a stereotype is that these folks are, are more preoccupied with their brains than, than perhaps other people or, or some external stimuli. So why wouldn't they love this process? Because it's all about looking at their brains. This is all about me and my neurons, you know, but that's, that's just my... Uh, no, I agree 100%. I tell the kids, this this is your brain doing this. Look at right. this. That's your brain. And they're fascinated. I agree. So so in, in my, in my um, career, uh, about the most challenging um, uh, person I ever worked with was a Helen Keller type person who was blind, uh, mute, and deaf. 
and had seizures all the time, and uh, this person was actually able to do neurofeedback. But we usually don't get that that severe. Um, I've worked with many, many people who are nonverbal, and uh, they can be four years old, they can be you know, 12 years old. I've had uh, uh, quite a few clients whose language, um, let, let's say a child was eight or nine years old, was not talking, within a few months began talking. And many more uh, children whose language just propounded and, and increased. But, you know, the bottom line is that some kids are anxious uh, because that's the way they are and they're, they're extremely over-aroused. And they might be a little skittish when we go over with the electrodes. What we do is we send the parents home with a, a set of old electrodes to practice. And they come in and the kid is ready. And uh, it's, it's unusual for an autistic uh, person, let's say a child, to, to not have a good experience the first session, although we keep it shorter. Uh, but it's, it's rare, rare that we need more than two or three attempts to hook the child up and he becomes totally engrossed. Yes, my, my experience is that it seems like they feel it even stronger and more quickly. Um, have you seen that? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> of course. I mean, I'm, of course I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, uh, you know, being married to an artist, I, I don't know that I'm entitled to say who feels something stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take a back seat on that one. Uh, I, I, I think I think it's noticeable when uh, children who are distractible um, calm down, and <clears throat> when children who are uneasy in their own skin um, uh, seem to pay attention or, or simulate the behavior that adults are, are comfortable with. So. Um, so that that's you know th that's what we see. Uh, it's it's very refreshing if you have an adult who's um, overstimulated. Say, boy, I feel so relaxed in my session. But you learn to communicate in in different ways. And uh, people communicate with animals. People communicate nonverbally. People learn to reinforce themselves for a job well done. You know, mature adults in the absence of praise, uh, immediate praise. And, and so I think in working with a population that doesn't communicate as directly. Uh, you watch and you get a satisfaction out of the regularity of the process and the the um, development that that the process catalyzes. And a lot of times you see that, and a lot of times that's reported through parents and teachers. Beautiful. And it takes months, not you know, not years. Yeah, of course, it's not. Yeah, the the fallacy that you can find that magic therapy where you do one thing and um, and then they pop out of autism like a, a chicken coming out of an egg. It's it's a bit of a problem out there with some of the stories, but yeah, if you stay at it, it's beautiful. Yeah, one of the one of the things that we get to do with uh, neurofeedback training with people on the spectrum is we get to calm down their their heightened stimulation and at the same time train their attention. And uh, it's my observation that many other therapies do one or the other, and it's really hard to do both. Right, I agree. I agree. Beautiful. So tell me what um, what inspired you to write the second book. <laughs> what inspired me to write write the second book? Well, um, at my stage of the game, believe it or not, um, treating symptoms is the easy part. You know, uh, and I don't mean that to sound cocky, but we can really uh, help people and make symptoms go away. And mm -hmm. my mission in life is to train people to live uh, in the universe the way it is, not the way we wish it would be, and to develop you know lives of godly character to serve others. So my my book uh, is addressed to that, and it really deals with you know the five secrets of, of living an intact life, 
And it has a chapter on uh, neurofeedback, um, a very extensive chapter. It has a chapter on thought field therapy. It has uh, uh, lots of chapters on behavior modification and things like uh, dealing with anger, resentment, guilt, loneliness, depression, anxiety, and all the stuff that nickel and dimes us out of the quality of life. And uh, the title of the book is, or the subtitle is taken from the idea that we, the, the, the fuel for progress for development is challenge. Um, you know, I, I looked at neurofeedback and I said, well, we're challenging the brain at the rate of 3,000 times an hour. And I just blew that up into macro for how people make decisions. And then I looked at taking responsibility and charge of what you do. And that's really about choice because we always have a choice in how we interpret things. Well, if you wrote that book as well as you wrote the other one, I think all the parents should get it because one of the biggest things I do when I travel internationally is help the family and get everybody else kind of de-stressed and able to cope with, you know, what they're dealing with. And if you are giving them gifts that they don't need a neurofeedback machine to embrace, I mean, that's that's huge. Well, yeah, I I would I would um, say with confidence that um, next to having children, I would say this book is the greatest thing I've achieved in my life. Wow, that's awesome. No, no, the greatest thing was that really good, um, you know, thing you wrote for me on the front of my book. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I can I can be serious, but uh, in Northern California, I'm I'm known as one of the most preeminent neurocomedians in town. <laughs> I love that neurocomedian. Oh, and I'm and and I'll be your sidekick because it's very important to be able to make people laugh about the brain. They receive the information much better. All right, if is there one thing that you would really like to share, or a point you'd really like to hammer home? I. I want your audience to know that um, across so many different practitioners, so many different populations, neurofeedback is, it just, it sings loud and clear as being able to change people's lives. It's changed my life and helped me to change the lives and influence for the better people around me. And uh, I, I tell people um, in my office, I tell people in the media, that my colleagues and I around the world, um, who you know, probably number in the low thousands right now, uh, have done probably about 7 million sessions cumulatively in the last 20 or 30 years. And we report about 80% success, and that means helping people get rid of their system, their symptoms. And that doesn't even include the transformation. So one of the things I say in my ADD book is people come in to get rid of their symptoms, and uh, we help them do that, but they also walk out with some transformation, including becoming more sensitive and compassionate and more connected. And oh, the domino effect. That's really what effect. life is about. Yeah, the way that once, you've, once you're not dealing, and I think this is very applicable to autism, once you're not dealing every second of the day with some symptom that's overwhelming or that you're having to cope with, when that's lifted, it leaves you open and able to embrace and see and feel and live in an entirely different way. It's huge. True. It's huge. Okay, so would you be willing to give away one of your new books? Sure. All right. So what I'd like you to do then is give us a website that people can go to that you'd like them to check out or an email address or whatever it is that you want to plug right now. 
Well, if people are interested in uh, you know what what I'm up to, they can go to my website, which is www.marksteinberg.com. Oh, that's easy. All right. And Steinberg, can you spell it for them, please? It's uh, Mark is M-A-R-K and the one word S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with me today. That was really My nice My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Mark Steinberg, Ph.D., licensed psychologist and TV medical consultant, author of ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, which is a really nice, easy-to-read book. And his new book is Living Intact, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times. Wonderful guest. All right. I promised you stories from the road. All right. I, I think that what I would really like to help you to embrace and understand is really what is the fallacy of feedback? I set it up at the beginning by telling you my, you know, my past and believing that, that, um, feedback was always being told no. And then we talked about neurofeedback with Mark, which is a way of giving information to the brain. Um, he, he mentioned that he worked with a girl who is blind and, and deaf, and the way that information would have been given uh, would have been a sensory. Uh, we have things that give physical sensation, like a vibration, for the child to know, yes, yes, your brain's changing. Yes, sort of like his description of moving off the lane in the car. So here we have, we have a, a history of people believing that feedback is negative, it's being told no, then we move into a time where... Feedback is given directly to the brain saying, yeah, move into the lane here, move into the lane there, which essentially just means, yes, operate in this way, operate in this way, sort of like if you're learning any skill and your coach would say to you, oh, great, keep your knees up, keep your knees up, keep your knees up. We have a way of using video feedback to tell the brain, ah, yes, you're paying attention, yes, keep doing that, keep doing that to strengthen the brain. And it can be applied in many ways, but we'll just stick with the attention idea. So now, my story. There's a, um, there's a thing that can happen in the brain, and it happens in certain types of ADHD. And with autism, children are very often uh, riddled with sort of sub-disorders. Since it's a whole brain disorder, they have all these uh, aspects of you know, OCD and ADHD and just various things. And many of the kids I work with have the disorder I'm going to talk to you about. And I had it when I was a child. And what it is is that when that particular brain tries to focus and work hard, instead of doing what that brain should do, which is have the front of the brain, the frontal lobes, the executive functioning cognitive part of the brain, fire faster so that they can pay attention and can learn and can focus, what happens is the harder they try, the more that the brain fires slower. It goes opposite to what is needed. Now, my lived experience of that is, is the harder I tried, the more I fell into a black pit, a total black pit of non-thinking, non-existing nothingness. So it was scary, by the way. And, and if, if people were saying to me, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, and I tried, then literally I would get lost in this black pit. So I matured out of that for the most part, and then I used neurofeedback to, to heal it the rest of the way. But I remembered this. So I'm in neuroanatomy class, and I'm learning about the brain, and I find out this is an actual dysfunction for some people, and so I start looking for it. And I meet this gorgeous little boy. 
and he is so cute. But every time his parents try to get him to focus and learn to speak, he acts up and he gets more and more autistic. And when they, you know, he has different uh, behaviors he does. So let's pick one. He, he has a string that he likes to fling in front of his eyes. So, you know, they're like trying to get him to try, say a word, and he'll flick the string in front of his eyes. And when they try to do it, you know, by laying off and not asking anything of him, then he's still stuck flicking the string in front of his eyes. And they can't figure out how to get him to work. And they've done five years of play therapy. Five years. And then they start doing some ABA, and ABA being a more sort of practice-oriented, do it steady, do it steady, do it steady kind of, um, you know, approach to, to teaching. And he started to get some of the effects, and, you know, he started to get some sounds, and he started to shape some language, but he couldn't generalize. So at the table where he was working, he was able to approximate some words, and this was really exciting, but never, never, never. Did he take it away from the table? Did he use it elsewhere? Um, so they thought, okay, well, let's teach him some phrases, and he can use those exact phrases. And prompted, you could sometimes get a, uh, a word that was in the exact nature of the phrase. But again, he's not speaking, not in a, the realist sense of the word. So I come along, and I'm doing the neurofeedback on him. And I ask him to focus. And I see that the frontal lobes, de-accelerate, like slow down. The wave formation in the frontal lobes gets really slow, and he starts to do the string in front of his eyes. And I'm thinking, I wonder if the harder he tries, the less he's able. I wonder if he's got that particular aspect of brain disorder. So we designed a thing where he could practice, but we were never applying any force to the idea or push to the idea. We did it with a excited play approach. So we took the original therapy that they had and we took the working component of the ABA and we put them together. And then I did the neurofeedback to encourage his brain to fire differently. And it was really, really phenomenal. It calmed down, he was able to focus, he stopped stimming. And uh, he's still in process, but he is learning, and he is so cute. And he's talking, and he's, uh, he's a growing, changing boy who's happy with what he's learning. So why did I pick this story? Because I think that feedback, feedback is saying, yes, it's saying, this is what I see, it's saying, this is how you're affecting me. It's telling a person what they're doing and what the effect is so that they can then change themselves. And if we understand that, we can be great detectives for our autistic children. We can see what's working and we can take from every therapy available the bits and the pieces that are working and we can create the right thing for our child. And in this boy's case, it was keep his frontal lobes excited with fun, but still practice, 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 because he really needed it. So there you go. That's my story from the road. And today's answer is keep those frontal lobes firing with excitement and fun, and you will be able to embrace your child with learning. Okay? Feedback means I love you. You're awesome. 
compliments are as much a part of your feedback system as complaints ever were. Better, actually, much more powerful. All right, next uh, show we are going to have, and, and it's like a perfect show to follow this one up with, we're going to have our counselor. And the theme of the show is <laughs> start clowning around, parents. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher, and this is a new spin on autism. Answers. Thank you for joining me.